instructs us and to review where we have been, we see that Paul has actually been, it seems as though Paul has been denouncing wisdom, claiming it, uh, uh, almost saying we don't need to pursue wisdom or pursue philosophy, the love of that. We don't need to have a love for wisdom. There has been this denunciation, but it's really been a denunciation of the prideful sectarianism that has been afflicting the church. Remember, we started off, Paul introduces himself to the church at Corinth, then he gives thanks to God, and then Paul chastises the church. He's very, very quick. He, he very quickly gets to the heart of the matter, and that is, you guys are all Divided. One of you says I'm of Paul. One of you says I'm of Apollos. Others say I'm of Cephas. Some of you more spiritual people say I'm of Christ. And the problem is that you have divided yourself. You've really uh, adopted some of the, the philosophical pride of the community in which you live. And Paul has basically been saying that the sectarianism that is um, prominent in your church is a symptom of the human wisdom prevalent in the community, and this human wisdom never finds God. By human means, by human intellect, from the human mind, they never discover God. In fact, we're going to see it is because of their um, human wisdom that they did not recognize when he stood in front of them incarnate. Paul now is addressing their pride. The sectarianism that they are experiencing is not their root sin. Their root sin is that they have become proud and arrogant in their exaltation of wisdom. And Paul has been saying um, he has addressed their pride. And the way he has addressed their pride is with the remedy of the cross. The cross now is the remedy to your sectarianism because the cross is going to crush and destroy your pride because the cross does exactly that. It shows that your salvation, what you have, everything you have comes from God Almighty. In fact, later in the book, he's going to say, what do you have that has not been given to you? If you have wisdom, that came from God. If you have salvation, it came from God. Whatever you have, if you have knowledge of uh, deep, mysterious truths, all of those things come from God. And so Paul remedies, offers the cross as the remedy. Christ crucified, and this is what he said, he's been saying up until now. He's been saying, I just preached Christ and Him crucified. I placard Christ, as he says to the Galatians. I put Christ and Him crucified on a billboard. That's my message. So that's where we've been. Let me give you a little bit of a review or a preview of um, my intent this morning and where we are going to go in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. So this starts out maybe a, a little, I don't know, somewhat contradictory because now all of a sudden Paul is going to be talking favorably of wisdom and you've got, you got to be thinking, wait a second. Paul has just spent, well, we spent like three weeks denouncing the wisdom of the world. And now Paul starts saying, hey, wisdom is really good. What, what does he mean by that? So Paul is going to reveal to us that there is a wisdom. There is a divine wisdom. There is a wisdom that, that has its origin in the very mind of God. 
That's the wisdom that I am going to uphold. Not a wisdom that has its origin in the minds of men, but that which comes from heaven. And the rulers of this age have no clue about this divine wisdom. So there is a wisdom that we uphold. It is a divine wisdom. It comes from God Himself. And the rulers of this age have no clue about this wisdom. In fact, it is only revealed by the Spirit of God. You cannot discover this wisdom. And, and I think that's going to be really, really important to us. You need to understand that the Christian faith is a revealed faith. It's important that we point that out. It is not a discovered faith. It is a revealed faith. God makes this truth known. In fact, Paul will go so, so far to say that the, I, I think we'll conclude as we get to the end of this, this text that no human mind would have come up with the cross. And so it is a received faith. It is not a discovered faith. So that's kind of the general idea where we're going to go today. And I think it's important that we, we have this text because the truths of God are revealed. They are not discovered. And back to our point that we've actually talked about the past two weeks, salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is 100% of God. If you are saved, it was God who saved you. And so we, we do not teach here that there is this cooperation between man and God. Like I, you know, I, I kind of pitch in my own ideas and God kind of goes along with that and we kind of help each other. Not even that God takes me down to the, to the one yard line and then I just kind of punch it through at the end. Little football metaphor for some of you that may be relevant. We would say that God can take me to the one millimeter line. If he handed me the ball there, I would turn and run back the opposite direction. It is God who punches it across the finish line. Salvation is of the Lord. So, that's a a little bit of where we've been. I, I hope of the direction I want to go. I pray that that is clear. So if you will, let's go ahead and read our text. And I'm just going to read the entire uh chapter, chapter 2, since it all kind of goes together. But uh, we will be picking up today in verse 6. So listen to the holy word of God. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would have not, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows the person's thought except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. 
Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever. Amen. So we are going to begin with the gospel is the wisdom of God. The gospel is the wisdom of God. And let me just, um, in other words, there is a true wisdom. And before I get into that, let me just spend just a few moments talking about this idea of mature because it's going to come up next week. So he says, um, uh, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. So now we have to ask ourselves, well, who are the mature? Because next week, if you look at chapter three, he's going to start talking about infants. So let me just kind of get ahead of the curve a little bit here and uh, make sure that we... Um, try to define our terms. So among the mature, so who are the mature? And I think many commentators, preachers, probably even myself at some time um, in the past um, have probably understood this idea of mature to mean that a person has achieved a certain level of Christian growth, that babes need, the, the idea then is that babes need milk. That is, don't give New Christians, um, deep theological doctrine. Withhold that until they get a little bit older and a little bit more mature. I don't think that's what Paul's talking about. It doesn't fit the context. So if that's what I taught in the past, I, I don't, I don't think that's true. That we don't have this gradation of, um, Well, you can't really handle deep Christian truths. I think if you have the Spirit of God, you can handle deep Christian truths. And if you're a Christian, you have the Spirit of God. But when we look at chapter 3, verse 1, we talk, we we look at how Paul describes the, uh, the babes, the immature. And the immatures are the ones who are promoting the sectarian idea, this, I follow Paul, I follow Cephas, I follow, I follow Apollos. That's the babe. The babes are those, it's not saying that they're not saved, it's saying that they have the inability to live out the gospel. Put this in your notes. But the distinction between the juvenile Christians who fail to incarnate the cross by nursing jealousies and stoking rivalries and the mature are those who accept God's foolishness as wisdom and the world's wisdom as foolishness. In other words, to be spiritually mature means understanding God's wisdom and living out the wisdom that God has given us. It is living the Christian life. But when we create divisions and and when we um, promote um, a disunity and discord and we gossip and we lie and we, and we are shady in our dealings. That is the babe in Christ and the one who is mature is the one who is saying, no, I've been saved by Christ through the cross and I will, I am now living out that life. I am humbling myself before others. I think that fits the context a whole lot better. So there is a true wisdom and among the mature, we do impart this wisdom. And this is the wisdom we impart.
It's interesting that Paul now brings up this idea of wisdom. Because the Bible may condemn the wisdom of man, but we need to understand the Bible will not surrender wisdom to the enemy. The remedy of a darkened mind is not mindlessness, but it is light. So there is a wisdom. We are not to be haters of wisdom. We are to be lovers of wisdom, but the wisdom of man that can never find God needs to be um, put in its proper place and the wisdom then that comes from God needs to be exalted. And here's the thing. This wisdom is not of this age. It is not of the rulers of this age. It is a secret wisdom. It is hid, It is the hidden wisdom of God. So let's realize that the wisdom that Paul has condemned in the past is the wisdom that finds its origin in the human mind and never arrives at the idea of the cross. Christ crucified for the sins of his people. But this divine wisdom, this wisdom that Paul is promoting, actually has its origin in the very mind of God. Think about that. The wisdom that Paul is now talking about, and which, which is, by the way, is the gospel. This derives from the very mind of God and it has been kept by God until now. That's what we mean when we talk about a mystery. When you see that word mystery in the Bible, it's not something spooky. It's not Halloweenish. It is something that has been hidden in the past and now made known. Paul uses this word in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 and following, and he talks about the mystery that Jews and Gentiles are all one people under, uh, under the gospel. And now he's talking about this mystery, this mystery that was hidden in the mind of God, but is now made known. In fact, Paul goes so far as, sa- as saying this. He says, this mystery... This hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. I need to unpack this because that is just an unbelievably rich statement. So I'd encourage you, if probably not napping yet, um, but at least listen to this part. I know you guys are you guys are great listeners, so I'm not. Decreed before the ages. As I was doing my, my translation work, I'm like going, I want, to, I want to use the word decreed, not because I'm an expert, it's just I'm pretty basic. I would have used the word predestined because that's the word. It is, this is this message, this wisdom, God predestined before the ages began. God now brings into our reality that which He predetermined in eternity past. God predetermined the cross. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, before time ever began, before Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Before that, the cross. The cross was in the heart and mind of God before, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In other words, the cross is not a backup plan. It is not a plan B or a plan C. It is not like, well, man, sin, not what we're going to do. How about Jesus? You want to maybe die for everybody's sin? Before an eternity passed, God predestined the cross. From eternity past, the cross was the center of human history. This was the mind of God. It originated in the mind of God. 
And it was, it remained kind of hidden, hinted at throughout the Old Testament. And then in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. And how did He do that? By being nailed to a cross. This is all in the mind of God long before you and I ever came on the scene. In other words, the gospel is not a new idea. It is not a new idea to God. The world was created with a cross at the center of history. This is the wisdom of God. Christ crucified. You want to have godly wisdom? Christ crucified. That is the wisdom of God. The gospel is the very wisdom of God. We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages began, note this, for our glory. You might say for our glorification. Uh, We would not be stretching the, the meaning of that text if we were to say God decreed this wisdom um, before in eternity past for our glorification. That is, for our eternal salvation. Glorification is the final step of our salvation when one day we will be given resurrected bodies we will live in a new heaven and a new earth in a total and perfect relationship with the God who created us. Perhaps one of the greatest phrases, I, I use this, this example of lot, a lot just because it's relevant. In, in the very last chapter of Revelation, what does it, one of the most amazing statements about man's relationship with God is found. I think it's in Revelation 22. It says, and they will see his face. That the redeemed will see the face of God. Why is that so, so amazing? Because all through the Bible, you cannot look on me and, and live. You cannot look upon my face and live. You cannot look upon my face and live. Moses saw the backside of his glory. Um, Isaiah, he's, he's in the temple. And even then, the glory of God is shrouded in smoke. Why? So that Isaiah does not look upon God in all of his splendor. And then in the glorified state, in glorification, you will look upon the very face of God. God, from eternity past, declared the cross. And God and the cross has effects all the way to eternity future. So from Eternity past to the eternal future. The salvation of God's people through the cross has been the plan of God. This is the wisdom of God. And it was unknown to earthly rulers. In fact, Paul says, if they had known this, they would not have crucified Christ. In other words, the the cross um, is not something that is comprehended by human faculties. Mankind does not invent the cross. This is why Greeks saw it as foolish and the Jews saw it as a stumbling block. Because it is insane to think that the one who will deliver mankind from his sin is going to do so not through power but through weakness. Not through bringing a sword against the earthly powers and destroying them 
but rather by being subject to their sin and dying on a cross that does not enter the mind of of man. That is only something that is derived from the mind of God. Their minds, the rulers of this age, cannot conceive of the cross. And then Paul goes and he and he quotes um, from Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4. He says, What no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. In other words, just a simple paraphrase of this is like, No one can comprehend a God like you. Nobody makes up a God like you. By natural means, no one can understand who you are. You are, this is why the Christian faith is a revealed faith. It is not a discovered faith because we would never discover God on our own. We would end up with all sorts of great human philosophies. But we would never arrive at the God of the universe. And so, if all we do is look at this passage of text, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. If we stop there, we might think, well, this is kind of bleak. We can't understand God. We can't see God. It doesn't even enter into our minds what God is like. Well, that seems pretty bleak. We might ask ourselves the question, then how could we know God? That brings us to our next point. The wisdom of God is revealed by the Spirit of God. The wisdom of God is revealed by the Spirit of God. If there is no God like you, and a God like you doesn't even enter into our hearts and minds, how could we ever know you? The wisdom of God is revealed by the Spirit of God. We understand. Paul goes on and says, These things, these things, oh, you know me, what's, what's my next question? What things? What things? The secret things of God that God has prepared for those who love Him. And he goes on and he says this, God has revealed, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. So these things, what? Things that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, things that have not even entered, that man can't even imagine what God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has made known to us. The secret things of God that He has prepared for those who love Him, He has made known to us through the Spirit. And then Paul kind of uh, elaborates, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. The Spirit of God searches the depths of God. That is, the things that God has foreordained that we see in verse 7, the things that God has prepared that we see in verse 9. We even see from Romans 11.33 that God reveals His plan for human redemption. Now we ask, if God, um, if we can understand these things, how are these things revealed? They are revealed by the Spirit of God. The Spirit knows the very thoughts of God. Listen to this. Paul says, for who, he uses a human example. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of the person which is in him? In other words, you don't know my motives for doing certain things. You might see me act in a certain way and you might say, oh, that's awesome. You know, what a, what a generous, nice person. But you do not know my Spirit. I know my Spirit sometimes. Or you might say, oh, I think he's done something awful or terrible, but you don't know my spirit. Who knows my spirit? Just Or who knows my thoughts and my intents? My spirit alone. Well, who knows the thoughts of God? The spirit of God. The spirit knows the thoughts of God. A great example is when Peter confesses Christ in the book of Matthew. But who, 
who do you say that I am? Peter answers, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. What is Jesus' next statement? Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. How did Peter come to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Not because he went and read some books. He didn't, he didn't go and read Socrates. He didn't read the Jewish Talmuds. He read the scriptures. And God made known that which is hidden. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Flesh and blood doesn't reveal that. So who knows the inner thoughts of a man but the spirit of that man? So the spirit of God knows the thoughts of God. And get this, we have the spirit of God. That's a jaw-dropping statement. Nobody knows the mind of God except the spirit of God. You can't, your eye is not seen, your ear is not heard. The plans of God haven't even been entered into your mind. The only one who knows the mind of God is the spirit of God. And oh, by the way, you have the spirit of God. What an awesome statement. We have, if you are a believer, you have the spirit of the living God. And you can know uh the things of God, you're not going to know everything of God, um, but you can certainly understand redemption. At the heart of what Paul is talking about is the cross and its effects and how a person comes into a relationship with the living God. In fact, the Spirit of God is the identifying mark of a believer. If you do not have the Spirit of God, you are not a believer. Paul points this out very clearly in Romans chapter 8. If you do not have the Spirit of God, you do not belong to God, but we have the Spirit of God. The Spirit has made known to His elect the plan of God to save us through the cross. So, the cross is the wisdom of God. It is kept in heaven from eternity past. It has now been made known, not by human reasoning, but by the Spirit of God who is given to us. I think that's an amazing thing that Paul goes on, he says, um, I'm getting ahead of myself. Slow down. I just want to say everything right now. All right, so 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 are you you with me at this point that there is a wisdom? Um, it is a divine wisdom. It's been in the mind of God. It, the wisdom of the cross, the knowledge of the cross, the gospel that, that God has created us, that we have sinned against Him and that we are separated from God and that the, the wages of our sin is death, um, but that God through Christ has is both just and the justifier. He has punished sin on the cross and He has forgiven sinners. Through the cross. That's an amazing thing. Through the cross, God has been just and that he has poured out his wrath against sin justly and he has forgiven sinners. People think, oh, well, God painted himself in a corner when he said, well, I'm going to judge, I'm going to judge sin and my wrath is against sin. Well, then how are you going to forgive sinners? cross. The cross is the answer to that. 
And this is a wisdom that was not in the heart of minds of men. They would have never come up with this. It is in the heart and mind of God from eternity past, and it will result in our eternity future. And how did we get this wisdom? Did I discover it? Am I just smarter than somebody else? Am I wiser than somebody else? Are you more brilliant? Did you do more reading? What did you do to get this wisdom? It was revealed to you by the Spirit of God. In fact, Paul will go on and say that the the carnal person, the unbeliever, can't even understand these things. So let me get there. Spiritual persons then, my, my next point is spiritual persons are the recipients of this revelation. Spiritual persons are the recipients of this revelation. Paul then goes on and he begins to talk. Now we have... Um, received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. What a great statement. We have the spirit of God. Why? So what, what, what is the result of having the spirit of God? Being able to understand the things freely given to us by God. So Paul contrasts these two spirits. There is the, um, the spirit that is from the world and there is the spirit that is from God. Um, the spirit from the spirit of this world, we never discover God. In fact, those who had the spirit of this world ended up crucifying Christ. They did not recognize him when he came. He gave plain and perfect evidence of who he was. But in their wisdom, in their wisdom, they said, we need to crucify this guy. We need to get rid of him. He is a plague and a curse and he will just bring us to ruin crucify him. That's the wisdom of the world. It is this idea, the spirit of the world speaks of the outlook of the world. It is a, it is a natural worldview. It is that which motivates the world and gives it its distinctive character. That's the spirit of the world. But on the other hand, there is the spirit who is from God in chapter 2, verse 12. And we have received the spirit that is from God. God has provided his spirit. And that spirit teaches us the wisdom of God. What is the wisdom of God? It is the gospel. This is what Paul has been talking about all the way since well, the beginning of the book, but especially beginning in chapter 1, verse 18. Paul goes on, he says, Now we can understand the things freely given to us by God, and we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And then verse 14, this is such a key passage of text here. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The natural person does not understand the things of the Spirit of God because they are foolishness to him. This explains why when you're sharing the gospel to your, to your, to somebody who doesn't know Christ, they look at you like you are an alien from outer space. And they reject what you say. They say it because it's foolishness. So as we enter the holiday season, Thanksgiving and Christmas coming up and some of these things, and we're around family members and they think that you are a nut job because of your religious faith, it should make perfect sense. Because these things are spiritually discerned. 
The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. And note this, he is not able to understand them. The cross doesn't make sense because he cannot understand them. It's, it's, it's kind of like they're trying to receive a message with the wrong antenna, the wrong receptor. If I were to tell an individual, say, a hundred years ago, I walked into a room and I said, around you, all around you, I, a church like this, without these monitors and without this microphone, church like this, a room like this, and I were to walk in and I were to say, listen, all around you are pictures and sound. There is speech and sound all around you. They'd look around and say, you are out of your mind. You are insane. Why? They have no concept that all around them are sounds and visuals. But if we just had the right antenna and the right device, we could capture those sounds and those images that are all around us and we could display them through a box, like a radio or a television. Then they'd say, oh my goodness, there are sounds and pictures all around us if we just had the right receptor. Paul is saying the people who do not have the Spirit of God will not understand. They don't have the right antenna. They don't have the right receptor. This is why it's foolish. I think I read a short story a long time ago about a guy whose kid came home from school. This was probably in the early 1900s. It was the setting. And he came home and his kid came home from school saying, yeah, there are all sorts of animals um, all around us that um, you can't see. And the dad's like going, I'm sending my kid off to school to teach me about fan, to teach him about fanciful animals that I, that I can't see. And he went to school with his kid and he said, I need to confront the teacher because you're teaching my kid that there are all sorts of things that are, that I can't see. Gave him the right device, a microscope, and he looks through a light microscope into a little drop of pond scum and he sees all kinds of little animals and all sorts of living creatures that he had never, ever seen before. He had the right instrument. Prior to that, he thought his, the person teaching his child was somebody teaching wrongly, teaching untruths, telling lies. But in reality, the teacher was saying the exact right thing because the teacher had the right instrument. So as we teach the gospel, people are going to come across and say, you're out of your mind. See, because these things are spiritually discerned. Not only does the natural person um, not receive the things of the Spirit, the natural person cannot receive the things of the Spirit, which means they need the Spirit of God to illumine the scriptures. There's a lot of people out there who know the Bible way better than I do, way better than you do. I'm not saying that people can't understand the facts of the Bible. They can read the Gospels and they go through it and say, yeah, that's pretty nice literature, good story there, interesting, well-written or poorly written or whatever. But to understand it and to believe it in the sense that that to apply it to their lives and be saved, that takes the Spirit of God. They are unable to understand the things of God except by the Spirit of God. 
So they, it's not simply that they are unwilling, they are incapable. The gospel is foolishness to the unbelieving. This is why I said at the very beginning, and it's important for us to understand, that the Christian faith is a revealed faith. It is not a discovered faith. It is a revealed faith. It is only by the power of God that we can understand the message of God. That may come through reading the scriptures. Maybe you're reading, and one day the light goes on. This is why we would, this is what this old Christian man told Justin. Go home and read the scriptures. And he did. And the light went on. The scriptures were illuminated. And he forsook Platonism. He, he forsook Stoicism. He forsook all of the worldly philosophies and said, no, there is a wisdom of God. I am a lover of wisdom. But what I love is the wisdom that comes from the very mind of God. And he became just an outspoken apologist for the things of God. The natural people cannot accept the things of the Spirit, uh, not only because it seems foolish, they're not even capable, but God makes himself known to us. For us to believe the gospel, it is necessary for God to open our eyes. Paul goes on and he writes, The spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? That's an amazing... Who? That's a great question. I think it comes out of the book of Job. Who um, knows the mind of God that he can instruct him? And then another jaw-dropping statement. But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. I think the idea is a mind with the cross as its focus. That is, now we live out this cross-centered life. Um, the cross-centered life doesn't revel in the divisions that the Corinthians are involved in. It does not revel in sectarianism. It strives for, for peace. It glories in unity and not disunity amongst the brethren. It is one that exalts his brother or speaks highly and regards his brother rather than gossips and demeans his brother or sister. It is the uh, the mind of Christ then is the one that is humble before God Almighty. We have the mind of Christ. Not my will, but thine be done. I will take up my cross, lay down my life, and follow after you. I will curb my tongue. I will guard my thoughts. I will take those thoughts captive. I have the mind of Christ. I'll conclude with this. So there is a divine wisdom. Paul is not anti-wisdom. Paul is not anti-knowledge. I fear oftentimes Christians live in a place kind of anti-intellectual. I know when I went off to, or got accepted over at Southern to, for my doctoral studies, I had a, a local pastor kind of condemn the action. Summed it up with, well, knowledge puffs up. Being a Christian does not mean being anti-intellectual. It does not mean being anti-wisdom. It's not what Paul is talking about here. But there is a divine wisdom. It is foolishness to the world. And this wisdom is the gospel. 
Christ died for sinners, that his sacrifice on the cross is sufficient to pay for your sin. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the cross, that the cross, that the that the work that Christ did on the cross was sufficient to pay for our sins. Do you believe that? That you didn't work, you didn't earn it, you don't have to go through some rite or ritual every week or every month or every year, you don't have to go to church, um, but you should be involved in church, by the way. Um, But all of these acts will never save you. The blood of Christ is sufficient to save. It's foolishness to the world, but the wisdom is gospel. And let me just say this. The gospel is the deep things of God. You know, we get this, oh, well, I'd love to keep coming to to your church, but I really need to get into the deep things. Really? What's deeper than the gospel? We we just keep preaching the gospel. Maybe that gets old, I don't know, but it doesn't to me. It's new every week. I I need the gospel every week. I need to know that Christ died for my sins every week. I need to know that that sacrifice was sufficient even for last week. I need to know that. I need to be assured of it. I need to hear the gospel every week. I need to see the gospel every day. The deep things of God... I'll just tell you, if if you want deep things, I, I think you'll get it at this church because it is the gospel. And we will sing the gospel. We will pray the gospel. If you look at our liturgy for our church service, it is a gospel presentation. Begins with God, goes to confession, then assurance, thanksgiving. It's like, that's it. And every week, if you say, well, I wish you'd vary things up, I don't think we will. We want something new and fresh. You're going to get something old and beautiful. The wisdom of this world will pass away, but the wisdom of God, but the wisdom that God has prepared has a glorious future. God has saved you for His glory. Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, and just pray that you would um, impart these truths to us, Lord. I pray that they were communicated well. And if not, I pray that you would clarify them. Let your name be honored in the things that we say and do. Help us to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. Let us be mature people and love our neighbor as ourselves. So, Father, we come before you this day. We praise you. We thank you for your grace and for your mercy. To God be the glory. Amen. Let's stand and...
Amen. Our benediction today comes from the book of Romans, chapter 15, verse 13. Let's uh, benedict together. (laughs) Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Be blessed. We're dismissed.